0: Hey, the Kentucky guy here. First, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Today's episode is a special report. We received some information here a couple days ago. I know that we are late, black like normal here lately, <laughs> but it did take a while to get everything together because I want to bring you guys the absolute truth. I think some of you will find this very, very exciting, interesting, and kind of new. We have some new things that we're going to talk about. This will be a two-part special report series. Part two will drop tomorrow. All right, so I hope you enjoyed today's episode once again. This is Kentucky Guy. Thanks and God bless. all right and welcome to the red pill current news podcast i'm your host the kentucky guy hope everybody's having a fantastic day today if this is your first time listening to us we are on all major platforms including google spotify apple podcast iHeartRadio, pandora and the list goes on be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button we drop new episodes here normally every wednesday and saturday this episode here however well let's let's hold on first also for you sports and wrestling fans i do co-host with uh donny cage against the match wrestling podcast and we drop new episodes there every monday and friday if you ever like to be a guest on the show here or have any questions by the way merry christmas to everyone who is emailed uh Happy holidays and Merry Christmas to, to me as well uh, at OL Kentucky99 at Yahoo.com. I want to say thank you guys. I did answer you in the emails. However, I do like to do it um, on the air as well. But OL Kentucky spelled out 99 at yahoo.com. If you'd ever like to get in touch with uh, get in touch with me or ever thought about being a guest on the show. So today's episode is a little bit different. This episode was supposed to go out on Saturday. Saturday was going to be just a normal economic, financial collapse news, right? However, I received some special intel and some things that uh, I wasn't aware of, and and none of some of this is not new. Some of this is old, however. It plays into what we are dealing with right now in our country and in our world. Therefore, I've decided to make today's episode a special report number one. And we will have a special report number two that will drop this week as well. So let me go over the plan real quick and then I'll get into what I'm talking about. So there should be one more episode that will drop this week. This took me a while to put together because I had to do some fact-checking. Just to make sure you guys know how I am. So I apologize for it being a couple days late. However, I think it will be well worth the wait. Because now instead of just one episode. This week you're going to get two. Also. After the next episode. Part two of the special report. The next episode will be after Christmas. December 28th. And then we'll take a break small break and start back on schedule on january 4th which will be our first show our first short show hard to believe of 2023 <laughs> oh. thank you yeah so 2023 so today's special report is a, uh <laughs> it's because i just got a hold of this information and i felt it's important enough to share and to give to you something exclusive this is something we haven't done in a while please do your own research and this information may upset some of you if you are not fully awake but I ask for you to just listen with an open mind you may have heard of some of these companies and people we are going to discuss but I feel this is important due to the very important status our country and world are in mainly how do we get here and where are we going so just a couple of things before we get started here. If you if you have a chance, I would like for you the first thing I'm going to discuss is ID 2020. ID 2020, when you get a chance, do a search on that and check out their website. Here is their homepage and how their welcome homepage how it starts out. Since 2016 ID2020 has promoted ethical, privacy-protecting approaches to digital ID as a means to promote equitable social, political, and economic empowerment and protect human rights. Nearly 1 billion people, roughly one person in eight, globally lack the means to prove their identity through any widely recognized means. If properly designed and implemented, digital ID could offer equitable access to vital services and enable individuals to exercise their rights as citizens and voters and participate in modern economy. But doing digital ID right means protecting civil liberties and putting control over personal data back where it belongs in the hands of the individual. So, yeah, they're going to try to... They're going to try to sugarcoat this and make this sound like they're doing it for you. They're doing it for you. Don't buy into it. Every day, we rely on a variety of forms of identification to go about our lives. Driver's license, passports, work badges, and building access cards, debit and credit cards, transit passes, and so forth. But technology is evolving at a blinding pace and many of the transactions that required identification are today being conducted digitally. From e-passports to digital wallets, online banking to social media accounts, these new forms of digital ID allows us to travel, conduct business, access financial and health records, stay connected, and much more. While the process of digital trans- uh, transformation has had many positive effects. It has been accompanied by countless challenges and separate setbacks, including large scale data breaches affecting millions of people. Most of the current tools are archaic and lack appropriate privacy protections and commoditize our data. But that's about to change. And ID 2020 is leading the charge. So, have you guys noticed their name or their company? They started in 2016. ID 2020. 2020. 2020. Yeah, what happened in 2016 that set back the globalist playbook? I've said it over and over. They never thought Trump would beat Hillary. And he set their playbook back. Just throwing that out there. We are businesses, nonprofits, governments, and individuals working in collaboration to ensure the future of the digital identity is indeed a good ID. So check this out and listen to the name of this. Through our certification mark, yeah, we shape the technical landscape to ensure that the digital ID solutions. Which are developed and adopted are user managed, privacy protecting, and intrapreneurial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In January 2019, the Alliance, that's another name they use for the ID 2020 group, launched the ID 2020 certification mark. Guess where they launched it at? at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. ID2020's Technical Advisory Committee, made up of leaning experts on digital ID and its underlying technologies, established a set of functional, outcomers-based technical requirements for user-managed, privacy-protecting, and profitable digital ID. The resulting certification mark... Well, I tell you, if if you don't know why the word mark with this digital ID keeps making me pause when I put it in the same sentence, you need to go read Revelations. Gives direction to companies, product development, roadmaps, steering the market towards ethical, inclusive technologies. Certification also allows companies, companies, meetings, our technical requirements to market themselves as such, and gives those implementing these technologies confidence in adopting certificate- certified solutions. Heavily weight in these requirements is a focus on uh, modernization, open standards, open AIP APIs, and the portability of data between component systems, each of which is critical for uh, popularity, Avoidance of vendor lock-in. Alliance partners share a commitment to key principles for digital ID, but remain technology and vendor enthusiastic. By the way, am going to read off just a couple. I'm going to read off some of their partners that they keep mysteriously talking about. It's on their website. Do your own research. Accenture. Gavi, IDEorg, Microsoft, Rockefeller Foundation, Facebook, and Mastercard. You see, folks, just like the cryptocurrency. Remember one thing when they when you give them complete control voluntarily you've done it to yourself you've done it to yourself why in the world would you want money that you can't touch you can't feel you can't not have in a bank somewhere you can have some of it and then some of it like the like the dollar we have now and some of it you can keep Just in case something happens to the banks. Why would you give that control to the government? Where they can, boom, freeze your account and you have nothing. Just throwing that out there. Yes, I know. Everybody's, oh, man, but it went up and people made all this money on Bitcoin, dude. Yeah, uh, that money means absolutely nothing. I tell you something. Here's a way I want you to look at it before we move on. If... I have a million dollars. I have one million dollars in the bank, in in a cryptocurrency. Let's say, and you, you have five fifty thousand dollars of crypto in the bank. And for some reason, the government disagrees with me. Yeah, I wonder why. On something, and they freeze my account. Your fifty thousand of crypto is now worth. More than my million dollars. My million dollars is useless. Useless. If they freeze it and don't let me touch it. We're talking about imaginary money. This isn't funny anymore. If you ever get a chance, I'd like for you all to. And it's free online. You can stream it online. It's a movie. Uh, it, was, uh, it was, believe it or not, it's a movie from 1981. And it's called Early Warning. It's a, uh, it's a Christian movie. But it just might. Some of the things they say in there are are spooky, spooky. I just watched it again yesterday. It, it, if you look at the times we're living in right now, the times we're living in right now. Before I get to this next foundation, and the reason why I think this is important is I want to talk about the United Nations, their founders, and how it came together because it's going to, it's going. It, if you guys can't tell, they're playing this role now to where they want to be the world's government. If you can't see, all you have to do is even turn on fake media and watch the news. George Bush, old man George Bush, slipped up and said it on television at the UN. They wanted to create, and he was for it, a new world order. That's not my words. He said it on television. Go look it up. He said that. So the U.N., let's talk about how they got started. Nelson Rockefeller, he actually arranged the purchase of the U.N. headquarters building in 1949. J.D. Rockefeller donated the land. To get the ball kicked off, Franklin D. Roosevelt, met with two people he met with winston churchill and stalin at the Tehran conference in 1943 alger hiss a convicted soviet union spy was a part of the founders of the un as well also kurt waldheim look that name up if it doesn't sound familiar he was the fourth secretary general of the United Nations. That's just a little bit of homework for you guys. Just to kind of, you know, when you hear this Rockefeller Foundation and you hear some of these names over and over again. The old saying is where there's smoke, there's fire. I see a lot of smoke. A lot of smoke. Another group that we've not really talked about. On. On this show and it may just surprise you just a little bit some of the things that this company does this foundation silicon valley community foundation is who i'm talking about their slogan is our partners are philanthropists community and movement leaders businesses and leaders in local and state government we help harness and mobilize the incredible resources, expertise, and skills for our Silicon Valley community to deliver systematic changes that will create an equitable, equitable economy, secure, and vibrant future for all. Uh-huh. Okay? So the Silicon Valley Community Foundation was established in 2007 through a merger of two smaller charities, Beginning with a 1.7 billion dollars in assets, since 2007, the Silicon Valley Community Foundation has become widely known for its aggressive growth mindset. Until 2017, the foundation experienced experience rel- relatively moderate growth, expanding from 1.7 billion in assets in 20, uh, 2007 to 5.3 billion. In 2017 in 10 years in that year alone however in that year alone 2017 they surged to a 13.5 billion dollars surpassing the ford foundation and as of may of 2019 the silicon valley community foundation was the ninth largest charity and fifth biggest donor advise fund in the United States of America. So, in addition to managing the DAFs, the Silicon Valley Community Foundation conducts investment research, hosts public discussions, pushes for a left-of-center policy outcomes, generates special projects and initiatives within the Silicon Valley community. Yeah, so here's a couple of things that you may not know about them. The foundation has drawn considerable criticism for taking in funds without distributing them for charitable purposes. In 2017, uh, the assets grew by 64%. But charitable, this is what they're supposed to be doing, by the way. This is what the foundation is for. It's supposed to be giving out money and helping people. (laughs) But giving in the Bay Area dropped by 46%. Huh. So your money went up by 64, but your charitable, like your handout, went down by 46, uh, leading a nonprofit consultant to call the foundation the black hole of charity. (laughs) They charge fees to hold donor funds in accounts with no minimum payout requirements, meaning that the donors receive large, immediate tax breaks for supplying funding That can sit in a DAF indefinitely uh, without actually being uh, distributed to charities. (laughs) So let's look. Let's look at some of their donors and let's see how much they actually donated. So let's start off with their biggest donor to date. Oh, this is going to surprise you. Oh. Can you guess? None other than the Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg. $1.75 billion in Facebook stock in 2010. And in 2018, he gave an additional donation of $200 million. $200 million. Mark Zuckerberg. In 2018, sorry. That's wrong. The what's the WhatsApp co-founder, which is Mark's little buddy, Brian Acton, gave 28 or 286 million dollars of Facebook stock in 2014. Twitter founder and the former CEO, Jack Dorsey, gave $21 million of Squire square stock in 2015 now square as you all know he's still that's still his baby that's where he makes most of his money so any of you that deal with the square company when it comes to their websites and their cash registers and what have you just think about who you're supporting there just throwing that out there netflix co-founder reed hastings gave 100 million dollars in 2016 howard schultz the Starbucks chairman. He also gave he gave two hundred million dollars. Jeff Skull, former eBay president, founder of participant media, gave them four hundred and eighty six million in assets as of december twenty sixteen. Dustin Mozovitz, Facebook co founder as well as Azana founder, gave them $262 million as of December 2016. The Club of Rome. We're going to be talking a lot about this, this club later on. The Club of Rome, John A. Sobrato and family chairman, the Sobrato organization, which is real estate, Gave them $137 million from 96 to 2017. Richard Perry, co-founder and partner, Perry, uh, Erlerga real estate company, gave them $108 million since 20, uh, 2006. Mark Pincus, the Zygna co-founder, donated $20 million of Zygna stock since 2012. Mark Stevens, the former partner of Sequel Capital Funding Partnership, S-Cubed Capital, gave them $15 million in 2015. Sergi Brin, Google co-founder, $10 million, $10.9 million in 2015. Kiyu Hung, Vice vice Chairman, Shenaniga R A S. R-A-A-S, blood products, $5 million in 2017. Paul Allen, Microsoft co-founder, investor, gave them $2.5 million in 2018. Howard Schultz, the Starbuck, the the Starbuck. Yeah, I already talked about Howard Schultz. (laughs) Sorry about that. I knew that name sounded familiar. Let's see, Larry Ellison, the Oracle co-founder and chairman, $1 million in 2015 and an estimated uh, $15 million in 2016. Nick Woodman, founder of Camera Film GoPro, has given this organization $500 million of GoPro stock in the fall of 2014. JB Pritzker, co-owner of Pritzker Group, a venture capital and private equity firm donated $605,000 to the firm in 2016. So Kentucky guy, why? why, why are you talking about these donors in that? Well, first of all, if these donors names, the majority of them don't raise a red flag with you when it comes to interfering in election, uh, in elections over the years, when it comes to, Oh, I don't know. Being, Part of the big tech corporation, yeah. So it should raise some kind of red flag, and I think it was worth the time to go through each and every one of them and tell just exactly because you need to know who you're supporting when you go out and you do certain things and you buy certain things in in this world. You're supporting that company. Now you may not. You may say, "I have to have it. I have to have it, and it's the best price on things." For look. Man, I live in this world, too. But you need to understand who you're supporting. You need to. I've got Facebook. I, I mean, <laughs> I do. I, I have uh, I've thought about several times giving it up, but I've got families on there. I've got a lot of good friends on there, brothers and sisters of the church that I like talking to. So I stay on there. I don't buy anything off in there. I don't put any ads on my stuff and Or to give them any money to run ads or anything like that. But I'm on there. So I'm just saying, just be aware because there are, there are certain companies and there's quite a few of them that I don't buy from. I do not buy from because of their practices. Quite a few companies uh, here lately, actually. But some, I mean, I, I live here too. I'm not telling you to do anything that I haven't done myself. And I just want you to be aware. You need to be aware of who these people are. Now, let's talk about the Club of Rome. I'm going to be honest with you. This is a club that I'm really just finding out about. I knew about a club that they just called the Club the official title of the club of rome i really was kind of surprised and they're one of the reasons why it took me so long to put this episode together because i had to do my own research on them to find out and make sure that everything was adding up the club of rome is a non-profit informal organization of intellectuals and business leaders whose goal is a critical discussion of pressing global issues, of pressing global issues. Yeah. The Club of Rome was founded in 1968 at Cinema di Lassura in Rome, Italy. It consists of 100 full members selected from current and former heads of state and government, UN ambassadors, high-level politicians, and government officials, diplomats, scientists, economists, business leaders from around the globe. It stimulated considerable public attention in 1972, which the first report to the Club of Rome, The Limits to Growth, since the Jan- July 1st, 20- 2008, the organization has been based in, check this out, where they've been based at, Winterthur, Switzerland, ah, Switzerland, again, Switzerland, who, all my life, all my life, I heard that Switzerland was neutral, yeah, they don't get involved in wars, they're neutral, they're neutral, I heard that all through school, a bunch of lies. This group was organized in 1968, as I mentioned, by the they were organized by the Morgan, the group for the purpose of accelerating the plans to have. Now, Folks, do your own research. I'm reading this right out of what I found. To accelerating the plans to have the new world order in place by the year. Two thousand, The Club of Rome developed a plan to divide the world into ten regions or kingdoms. In 1976, the United States Association of the Club of Rome was formed for the purpose of shutting down the U.S. economy gradually over time. In 1976, Henry Kissinger was then and still is an important agent in the service of the Royal Institute for international affairs a member of the club of rome and a council on a foreign relation kissinger's role in destabilizing the united states by the means of three wars the middle east korea and vietnam is well known as his role in the gulf war in which the U- u.s army acted as mercenaries for the committee of 300 in bringing kuwait back under its control and at the same time make an example out of Iraq so that other small nations would not be tempted to work out of their own destiny. The Club of Rome acting on the Committee of the 300, and we'll talk about the Committee of 300 here later, probably tomorrow, orders to eliminate General Haack and no uh, compunction in sacrificing the lives of a number of U.S. servicemen on board the flight, including a U.S. Army Defense Intelligence Agency group headed by General Herbert Wassam. General Yul Hawk had been warned by the Turskis Secret Service not to travel by plane, as he was a target for the mid air bombing. Which, with this in mind, Hawk took the United States team with him as an insurance policy, as he committed, commented, to his inner circle of advisors, the Club of Rome and its financiers, under the title of the German Marshall Fund, were two highly organization organized conspiratorial bodies operating under cover of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or as we call it, NATO. And the majority of the Club of Rome executives were drawn from NATO. The Club of Rome formulated all of what NATO claimed as its policies and through the activities of the Committee of 300. Member Lord Kerrigan was able to split NATO into two factions, a political left-wing power group and its former military alliance. The Club of Rome is still one of the most important foreign policy arms of the Committee of 300, and the other being the Bilderbergers. Oh, that name sounds familiar, don't it? The Bilderbergers. It was put together in 1968 from a hardcore members of the original Montegal group on the basis of a telephone call made by the late Ariel Pesce for a new and urgent drive to speed up the plans of the one world government now called the New World Order. His call was answered by the most submissive future planners drawn from the United States' France, Sweden, Britain, uh, Britain, Switzerland, and Japan that all could be must... Yeah, and I know that's a lot of information. And I know you're wondering who the Committee of 300... I promise the next episode, we're going to finish it off. Next episode should drop tomorrow. There's there's so much. There's so much to this, and I don't want to make... I, and this is so... I believe this is so important. I, I don't want to make this this episode too long to where... You don't listen to it all, and you miss a lot. And once again, I just want you guys to listen to this with an open mind. I'm not trying to persuade you in any which way. I want you guys to be safe, and I want you to understand just why why I've went over this and why I'm talking about this, because it's very important. You can call it a great reset. You can call you can call it the change of the times. It doesn't matter to me what you call it, but you have to admit you have to see it by now every day it continue to push this agenda and it's not for the betterment of the united states or the world unfortunately all right you've been listening to the red pill current news podcast with your host the kentucky guy hey i hope everybody has a fantastic rest of the week a new episode will drop tomorrow And if I forget to say this tomorrow, let me say it now. I hope you guys have a fantastic and Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And as always, God bless and God bless America.